0: everyone welcome to another edition of the pioneer perspective and as always my name is brad and i am joined by my beautiful co-host alex alex say hello to everybody at home hello everybody at home and real quick we are the official podcast of the playaway discord server and if you want to do some mailbag questions you can leave us a comment over on the discord server in the mailbag section you can send us dms and by the way speaking of which this whole episode is mailbag questions Woo! We have a lot of them. Cue the intro. Yeah, we we have intros somewhere. (laughs) But real quick, before we get to the mailbag questions and any really fast news about Magic... We have Twitter socials. You have Come Play Away. We have the podcast Twitter, Pio Perspective, Myself at Bradsford. We have Disciple Bulls for Alex. We have other podcasts. It's we are the Pioneer Perspective, of course, but we have our sister podcast, Pondering Popper, hosted by Cali Kaisen Diego. If you don't listen to or if you don't play Popper, I still recommend, you know, getting in a few episodes or not. Like it's really awesome. They're very insightful. And we also have merch. Uh, We have the Pyro Perspective playmats as well as PlayAway playmats over on Inked Gaming. So you can go and check out the link in the description there. Uh, Even if you don't want to get a specific playmat for the Pyro Perspective or or for uh, PlayAway in general, there is a link in there for the affiliate program that still helps us out if you find anything on Ink Gaming uh, that you like in general. So it doesn't have to be with us. And of course, we love you and we appreciate you, like always. And I'll say that again later. So Alex... The first thing I want to ask you before we get to the, the uh, questions: Did you know? And by the time this actually comes out, we'll know the answer to this tomorrow. But did you know that there's going to be a, a BNR tomorrow? Because we're recording on Tuesday, which is the 18th. Wait,
1: I I actually wasn't aware that there was going to be a BNR.
0: Yeah, there is a BNR tomorrow, most likely historic. Uh, Maybe there are some rumblings of, I think, Doomsday and Vintage for some reason. I don't know why. Um, But mostly Historic because you have Tainted Pack uh, going into uh, Thassa's Oracle.
1: But they just spoiled Historic Anthologies 5, which features Stifle. Yeah. Which is literally the best card against that deck. Well. Except Stifle Bird is better and people should run Stifle Bird. And watch them exile their entire library and then Stifle the Oracle. Lol. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, that, that would feel great. I mean, if people
1: want to know how to play against Tainted Packed Oracle, just ask CEDH players. <laughs> They've been doing it for a year.
0: <laughs> I saw someone's tweet. Like it was just like historic players complaining about Tainted Packed Oracle. CEDH players, welcome to our living hell. <laughs> but uh, because it is an actual BNR announcement uh, or a BNR thing in general for tomorrow, um, give me, on a scale from 1 to 10, the likelihood of anything in Pioneer happening
1: three out of ten
0: where i will say three out of ten where like one out of the
1: ten is them realizing that the way they change double face cards is stupid and now they actually do it properly mm. which indirectly affects pioneer i could imagine them being like why didn't we do that we're stupid and then now coming back on it but i don't know
0: Ooh, honestly if um
1: but I, I I genuinely doubt that. But that is like a minute chance that that
0: happens. If they randomly just said, "Yeah, bring Delight into Tivolt Stupid, we're gonna fix that," I would just be like, "Wow, my Niv Delight matchup just got way better." In most of my decks, <laughs> that that can like that can play like Coma, because like I'm playing Carnage Tire in the sideboard because Niv has a hard time dealing with it unless they go into an Extinction Event. Like that's their only out, or you know, Aether Gusting on the stack. So like. But I like doing a 1-1 swap between Coma and Carnage Or blocking it with Niv. Okay, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but I can Aethergust their Niv on the field. and it's I,
1: So they put it on top of their deck and cast another one. Brad, I don't know where this game plan is going.
0: I've won games doing this, and I'm like, yes, you can keep casting Niv. I'll keep Aethergusting it. Because <laughs> I, I side in four Aethergusts for Niv. Wow. Yeah. Because okay. I hate Niv so fucking much. I, okay, I don't hate Niv. Let me get that out of the way. First off, I don't think any banning should happen at all. Uh, Niv is an annoying deck, but not because it does anything oppressive or unfair. It's just like, but why do you always have the to top deck Niv? Please stop that. <laughs> well, if you Aether Gusted, of course they're going to top deck Niv over and over. Okay, yes, but this is my choice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I'm sure we'll be talking about Niv because as we said, we did a millback question uh, episode. So we obviously had a mailbag on the Discord where we got some uh, lovely questions in. We also had a post on Reddit, which had, by the time we recorded, I think like some like 37 comments. So thanks everyone for chipping in. You know, some people did part of the work for us. There's a couple of replies that I'll be, um, well, paraphrasing um, throughout too, where some people put it in a way where I'm like, I don't know how much I can add to this, but I won't just be reading out entire responses because that's boring. The first like, reason why we wanted this mailbag episode, and I think we should just get started unless there's something to add. Nope, let's get going. Cue the intro!
0: Okay, before we begin, let me just be clear, Calltime was a one-time deal for a metal
1: intro and this is the only time you skipped a mailbag episode. F it. I'll do one anyway. F your Harry Potter intro for Strixhaven.
0: No. Haven. Question. The intro. No. Best.
1: Best. Best. Question. Woo! First question, so um, Ace Divicado on this server actually asked a question a couple of weeks ago, one time I think we didn't record that week, then we had the episode of Ekeros where we didn't have time, and then we straight up forgot the episode after. So, uh, we're going to start off with this one. And the question is How has the mana of Pioneer directly or indirectly affected the meta? A lot of untapped land cycles, Fastlands, Painlands, and the Triomes all encourage enemy colored pairings or wedges. The relevant ally color cycle is the Bicycle Lands, which are more for mid range and control decks. And no, Showlands aren't relevant. Big true, by the way. So Brad, what's your what's your answer to that? We have talked about this before, but please, like what is your uh, what is your take on this?
0: I mean, it seems like we've leaned into uh like a lot of decks that are able to, you know, play the colors comfortably, right? Um, even you'll get things like Azorius with like spirits, you're still playing a mana confluence or two because you're just struggling to get all your colors together. I'm missing the pain lines and the fast lines, things like that. It's obviously a big part of uh, the Pioneer meta, and I. Though, I say that, but when I think about it, can you think of any deck that's not in existence right now because of the mana base solely because of the mana base?
1: There's a good chance it's Gruul. Um, we've seen Gruul decks occasionally show up. We know, especially people know playing Standard now or playing Historic. That there are definitely exceptionally powerful Gruul cards, right? Gruul is actually a really strong color combination in terms of cards it gets. Not necessarily multicolored cards, but it is the color pairing that holds both the Great Henge and Embercleave, Cleave, which are two very good ways to build a deck. Um, and actually, right after Zendikar, I think the first weekend after Zendikar, where we got the Gruul um, pathway, we immediately saw both challenges being top aided by multiple Gruul decks. Then they immediately faded again, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's because people were thinking like, "Okay, this deck is definitely better, but it's still not the mana's still not good enough." I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's a large part of it because I can tell you from playing a Gogari deck, uh, playing Elves, that playing two colors when you have Shocklands, Fastlands, Painlands, and Pathways feels basically free to play two colors. Now, I haven't actually played an enemy-colored deck. I mean, an allied-colored deck, uh, like Gruul. But you probably played Azorius Spirits. I can't imagine it feels
0: the same way for you. No, it makes me want to kill myself. It's agonizing. Um,
1: Yeah, because it's also just a shit way to lose a game. Yeah. It it really sucks losing to your mana, especially knowing, knowing... Not in the way of, like, well, I just built my mana base wrong or whatever, but in the way of... I know that if I would be playing a different duo combination, just the axes of other mana just would have made it so I win this game. And now I'm stuck on like two, four, five blue sources and a white source, and I can play two Imperial Eagles in one turn or something.
0: Yeah. Um, Though the exception to that is Rakdos. Rakdos is missing the same thing as Zorius is missing and all that. But for some reason, the mana base feels fine to me. But I think that's because of the style of decks that Ractus promotes. Also, you have access to Urborg uh, that can all- turn all of your mountains into swamps as well. Um, so, like from
1: then on, every pathway is just played on the black, on the red side, and every fabled passage just fetches a mountain once an Urborg's out.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, ractus is uh, is the OG, and
1: I could speak a little bit from the three color department uh, because I do not have access to a triome, and it makes me sad every time I draw fetid pools. Uh, even though Fetid is still a great card. Um, yeah, I feel like it definitely has an impact there. Though I would say generally it's more that playing a three-color deck, I would say generally a Triome is nice. But I don't think they're hindered as much as the other uh, decks are. Again, because the cycle lands are actually pretty good. Um, slower decks like that can often play a couple of check lands, which is something that aggro decks can't afford because an opening hand with two checklands is basically unplayable. If I have an opening hand with, like, two lands two push-two sensors, I can keep it, right? And aggro just never has that. So I feel like the three-color decks are less impacted. Obviously, we're talking four-color, five-color. I mean, we'll talk about it more. Five-color could definitely work. But obviously, that also still has upgrades to get um, from getting the Triumphs, but it's not as severe as the two-color decks. And again, also the two-color... Aggro decks suffer the most.
0: Okay.
1: So, I think we're jumping over to the to the next question, um, which is in regards to je- decks that are generally played as three colors and it's mid range. And the question comes. It's a combination of questions uh, of a couple people who asked uh, similar questions. So we have Pure Steel twenty five. Yes, on Reddit. Um, Mauricio's br on Reddit, and then Wentworth from the Discord. I ask a similar question, which generally was like, "Well, why is there no rock deck?" And then, sort of trying to answer it themselves, is like, "Is that just because Niv is that much better?" So I'll have you
0: start off again, Brad. So we've talked about this before, and you're very keen on this in saying that Niv is not actually like a, a true mid range deck because mid range is the idea that you can play this control game if you need to, but you can also be aggressive enough to put up uh, some you know quick kills. Uh, You can kind of go both ways. And of course, you can have a deck that's mid-range that leans towards one or the other. But because Niv uh, himself garners so much value from one card, because I encourage all of you to go on Scryfall and imagine yourself building a mid-range deck with a top end of a card that is like, I win the game, right? but at five mana. Your top end's five mana. And it's supposed to like, quote unquote, win you the game. Or at least get garner so much value that your opponent can't keep up.
1: You basically win the game.
0: Yeah. And then compare whatever you find to Niv. Because I did that all day today. and Because I, I was trying to build like a uh, like hero. I was trying to build five color hero for fun. And, uh, and you ended up
1: building a Niv deck. <laughs> I ended up
0: building a Niv deck. And I was like, because I, I was looking at all the cards. I just started throwing everything in. And I was like, I should just run two Niv. I I I, I looked at every, all the cards that I had. I'm like, this is basically, uh, you know, a Niv deck. So we'll do that. That 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 is a thing, and that is one of the biggest reasons why mid range is not in the format. Though, if we're being honest, mid range in the traditional sense might just be bad in 2021 Magic.
1: Yeah, I uh, and this is uh, one of the comments that I was picking up, and it is by. Let me please say it correctly. It is on the Reddit. You can still find it under this under these questions. I believe it is under Pure Steel's question asking like why there's no The Rock. It's one of the top ones by Giaccio Caldo.
0: I don't have the name in front of me, so it's all you,
1: dude. There is a lot of C's in that name, um, which basically boils down. And here, paraphrasing, is that. Even if Niv wasn't there, mid range in this format just isn't good, because mid range as an archetype generally relies on uh, card quality in having individually powerful cards, and now we obviously have some of those cards in this format, like Bonecrusher Giant is a fairly mid rangey card, Kroxa is a mid range card, um, but generally not enough. Right, We're ta- we've talked how uh, Liliana Waker of the Dead is like pioneers Liliana of the Veil vale, but it's not Liliana of the Veil vale, Right, Liliana of the Veil vale was just a better card, obviously, because you know it's even though it's cheap, uh, it's cheaper, but whatever. Right, Liliana of the Veil vale is just a better card, and a lot of this happens here. We don't have Bloodbraid Elf, we don't have Tarmogoyf, which is just so many stats on one card. Uh, we don't even, in a lot of these, have good manlands, right? Where Raging Ravine is, like, genuinely a scary card once it starts going in Junt because it just gets so big so quickly. And there's a second part to mid range that I think also lacks in this format. And that is, in this format, we don't have good cards, or at least, again, not enough good cards that play double duty. If you're looking at modern Jund, which again I will compare it a lot to modern Jund because it's like when people think of mid range they think of Jund, right? Maybe they think of Gogari like the Rock, but generally people will be thinking of Jund. We have a card like Lightning Bolt. Now, Lightning Bolt can kill small creatures in other matchups, or it can burn your opponent out. Renan Six can buy you back cycling lands for card advantage, or it can ping small creatures. Uh, Tarmogoyf is a good attacker, but it's also a great blocker. Liliana is applicable in every matchup. Um, especially in Modern, uh, where the Shatter matters a little bit more, Coligan's Command is super flexible, depending on its matchup. And Modern jund is just full of that. And if you would build a mid-range deck in this format, it isn't really. It doesn't have enough cards that serve double duty. And to bring up Liliana again, and we'll touch on this subject a little bit more later, another way that a mid-range deck can work is if it has a good discard outlet. Because then, if you think, like, hey, my Fatal Push... Fatal Push, for example, versus Lightning Bolt, is where Fatal Push is very one-dimensional. Because it's very good against creatures. And if your opponent doesn't play creatures, it doesn't do anything. Now, if you have a good card to discard this to, it might be less of a problem. But I also feel like we're lacking that a little bit. Again, Liliana, Waker of the Dead, is just too expensive and too slow to serve that same role that Liliana of the Veil vale does
0: I wonder if I think we've talked about this before and I'm sure I've asked this before but I don't think Liliana of the Veil vale would even be too powerful for Pioneer but Liliana of the Veil vale is interesting because it's like right on the line of like what's too powerful or like what's like what's powerful enough or like you know not anything egregious Um, I don't know I'd be interested in it I think Liliana of the Veil vale is probably fine Honestly, it, it would be,
1: it would probably be a format staple. It would be a very, very powerful card. But I think generally Liliana of the Ville is fine. Right, the uh, mana cost is actually somewhat restrictive, right? Double black and a colorless is not something you could just cough up in any three color deck. I could tell you from experience playing um, a certain card that is uh, black, 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 blue, red that sometimes cards can be very restrictive. Now, Nicol is probably the most restrictive card ever printed, bar the um, ultimatum cycle. Interplanar Beacon. No. Uh, It can't even make double black. (laughs) If it could make two mana of any color, but you can't even make double black with Interplanar Beacon. So it doesn't even solve the biggest problem. But anyway, um, Liliana would probably be okay, also because Liliana does actually go down to one. So, you could stomp her, or you could even stomp her a turn later. Uh, your average haste threat will kill her. Uh, you can cycle a Shark Typhoon for one
0: and kill her. You can eliminate her. That would probably. Ooh, dude, eliminate would immediately see way more playfully on the veils in the format. Yeah,
1: Oh, emi- el- eliminate would immediately replace Heartless Act. It's already close because we're seeing more and more Narset, especially out of the Phoenix decks. And some people are weird enough to put three mana Ashiok in their deck. Um, so we might already see more Eliminate, but obviously if we get Liliana off the Ville, that immediately would go up to <laughs> four Eliminate in every deck, I guess, that can play it. So obviously it would be exceptionally powerful, but I don't think it would be the whole format as Liliana's format now type of powerful.
0: But going back to the original question regarding uh, the mid range thing, if we feel like that Niv is partially the reason as to why midrange isn't, is lacking... Do you think if Niv was out of the picture, like let's say they just straight up banned Niv Reborn himself, right? You leave you leave the Bring to Light thing alone. You can do other stuff with that. You can have other Bring to Light decks, but you just hit Niv. Does that open up the field for more mid-range decks or do those mid-range decks after the first week or two of people trying them end up just getting stomped out by better control decks that could be more suited for them or just faster aggro decks that you know can get underneath them?
1: Yeah, I still feel like even if we did that mid-range would still be bad. Uh, I'm sure some mid-range will come through. I'm sure some mid-range can find a way in some metas. I'm especially thinking, like, Rektos Pyromancer is a mid-range deck to an extent. That's probably the only real mid-range deck we even see played right now. That would probably become a little bit better because its Nif matchup is bad, kind of similar to Vampires, which plays... Can, can play a mid-range role right i think vampires is a good example of can be a mid-range deck yeah so those decks would see a bit more play because their NIF matchups are bad but don't immediately expect your siege rhino to be a good card <laughs> or to immediately put liliana waker of the dead and some removal in a deck and be like this is my mid-range pile now like you would still get destroyed
0: Yeah, siege rhino is never gonna be like if siege rhino is like one of those cards that's like barely sort of kind of playable that doesn't see any play at all in pioneer then as the format gets older it's just going to get worse and worse and worse right like
1: um i mean the only re- the only way a card like i mean it's it's generally that these mid-range decks just need a better support cast right so it's not just um like if you want to play um siege rhino in your deck or you want to play a little bit of a bigger mid-range deck and you put lanawar elves in your deck for example. Llanowar Elves isn't really a mid-range card because it's not good by itself, right? Most mid-range decks don't start off with Llanowar Elves or Bird of Paradise or some other mana dorks because they're bad top decks. The only exception to this is probably Hand Attack because Hand Attack is just so good for the sake of mid-range that you always be running some of it if you can. But generally speaking, no, you just the rest of the cards need to be better, right? If you're going to Ban Niv and we get try and get more mid range. People are just going to play Magma Opus Control. And how do they beat that?
0: That seems really good against mid range, actually. Yeah.
1: Like, I make a 4 4, I kill two of your things and I draw two cards. And I did it for six mana. And also, I have a 5 6, right? That's type of the it would just do a Niv impression because Niv is so good at dumping on mid range decks that even if you do half a Niv, you're probably fine. And let's also be realistic, we're never going to ban both Niv and Bring to Light at the same time. That would be ridiculous, right? That's totally unnecessary.
0: So Unless uh, Wizards get so stubborn about the uh, Bring to light Tibalt rule.
1: That they just ban Bring to Light.
0: <laughs> yeah, Tybalt's so oppressive and pioneer all of a sudden for some reason. And they're like, instead of changing this rule like we did with the Cascade, we'll just ban Bring to Light. <laughs> Bye-bye.
1: <laughs> so no, generally speaking, I, I wouldn't expect Midrange to even... Be back at that point. Now, this lives and dies by good cards in new sets, right? If we get a Tarmagoy style card, uh, junk Mid Range is already pretty decent and has a lot of cards that I would consider good double duty cards or standalone cards. Again, Kroxa, Bone rusher Giant, a Dreadhorde Arcanist to an extent, cards like that. Like, uh ishkana obviously if you played in delirium package grim Flare is a pretty decent card by itself like sure give that magmatic channel is severely underrated give that deck a tarmogoy for something and it might actually be pretty decent but at the moment no and what i'm talking about by the way in this whole context is like if you want to like perform i think you can play mid-range now if you want to you can take yeah. mid-range to an FM or even a small tournament or something and you're fine, right? But if Paper Magic comes back and you go to a GP, don't show up with ups on mid-range to play Pioneer, right? You're not day twoing, unless you get really lucky or you're exceptionally good at playing your deck mm-hmm. or you just found some weird tech.
0: That too. I, I do think if there is a... To, I guess my closing thing on this is... And this is... I'm biased because I like the deck. If there is a mid-range deck that I feel like has the most potential of breaking out and being the mid-range deck, it would be a Jun Delirium-esque type of uh, shell.
1: I think it'd be Rakdos because just Croxa, Croxa, and to an extent Golagum's Command...
0: Well, you would you would play Croxa and Jun though. Yeah,
1: exactly, but it could even be Mardu or Grexis. but something off the back of Croxa would be well, how I would go about building a mid-range deck now.
0: When I think of mid-range, I think of like um... When I think of a mid-range in the sense of um... Putting down really scary threats. I want something that has a bit of redundancy, where Rakdos is a little bit one dimensional. Like Arcanus is a is a very scary threat, uh, as well as Croxa, but they're both pushable. So that's where I kind of feel like you know they they fall into that same camp of like how you attack them, or how you attack the deck is, is pretty pretty straightforward. Whereas a Jund mid range or even a Delirium shell, where you get access to Ishkanal, you can you can go Emrakul, you can still play two or three crocs, so you can play Questing Beast, you can play Elder Gargroth, uh, you know, any scary green card for that matter. That's where I'm like feeling more confident about Jund because you get a lot more variety in your threats and you can attack from different angles and it's harder to be attacked from the same angle. I think that makes sense. I like that.
1: That's also just because green is probably a better color than white. So like you'd be playing Jund before you play Mardu, right? Um, so, we talked a lot about Niv, and we already touched on the mana. So, I think a subject that comes up a lot, and three people again uh, Kevman 911 Kel Tavian, and um, Deathpunch4477 all asked questions relating to um, greedy mana bases. Uh, should we punish them if so how do we punish them what would be good cards to bring in right you know blood moon's probably too much uh stone rain is probably too much but would ghost quarter be fine like questions in those lines so um you know i'll throw it to you first again uh brad how do you feel about greedy mana bases? are people being too greedy and how would you address this
0: uh yeah we briefly touched on this last week um and uh the biggest thing I want to kind of reiterate from last week is you look at Goldfish, and again, Goldfish, take it with a grain of salt, it's the winner's, um, you know, data essentially from WotC, only WotC themselves has the true data of every given format, so, you know, what we see is the decks that are winning, but that's still, you know, what's performing, right? Uh, Niv is the top deck um, for the last 7 days, 14 days, 30 days, 90 days, and 365 days, Um, Of course, it's the top deck by 3% here, 4% there, that kind of thing. It's not blowing away the rest of the field, right? Um, So it's not anything to be like, oh my god, we need to ban it, or anything like that. But it is a testament to the way that the mana base functions in Pioneer, where without Fetchlands, we're still about as close to a a perfect mana base as you can get without Fetchlands being in a format. Right, we're just missing the Allied pain and fast lands, pretty much. Um, so to have a deck be that consistent at the top of the game, um, and be playing five colors and being a resilient deck on its own, it's uh, I not quite worrisome, but you could argue it's easier to play five
1: color in Pioneer than it is in modern. Despite the fetch lands, pioneer is slower, so it allows you to play more tap lands aka triumphs and there's no cards like blood moon that mean you immediately lose the game when they're played if you're a mana gate basically right like niv Niv decks run 5 basics and it's because they run fabled passage otherwise they wouldn't even be running
0: those yeah and I don't think to go to the second part of the question um, like how we would attack this or should we attack this I think pioneer needs something as to what level it's at no Blood Moon, no no uh, Magus of the Moon, um, neither of those. It's probably a bit too much. Blood Moon is 100% too much, but even Blood Moon on a stick is probably too much as well. Um, I don't know. I, this would have to be a new card design, something outside the box, in um, a unique way of attacking uh, five color, because I, I don't want to be in a format where... because You've played standards like that, right? Or you, like, I'm sure there are listeners that have played standards like that, where you have like fetches and standard, for example, and all of a sudden it's uh, five color everywhere. And it,
1: yeah, Tarkier standard, literally every deck was four colors, and they came up with the most hideous
0: names for them. Yeah, and that's not uh, that gets old after a while. Um, so, some way to, and I'm not a card designer i don't have the answer anything that i could think of would probably be way too powerful and then if i try to like bring it down i'm like then it's just not playable so i'm not good at finding that sweet spot um it's also why i don't like custom cards in general because i feel like that's a, a gift that most people do not possess is card design so leave it to the professionals please but wizards please please give us something good give us something like that's it honestly just give something that, that hits both players please i don't want niv to just be like i can hose out the other niv decks haha ha. and then they can do whatever they want that no f off let me let's let's hit let's make it symmetrical
1: it's like how you can play alpine moon in i mean you don't never have access to red but you can play alpine moon in tron and name your opponents tron land and yours still works right that's now in your point i actually think magus is totally fine i could i could honestly see magus of the moon being good for the format and i talked about this last week um magus does there's two solutions to playing against magus that i feel like are both fine first of all you could just put red removal in your sideboard it's the easiest one your deck's not playing red who cares right you could put shock or magma spray or something like that um you could just put that in your sideboard and then you can never you know that is your answer to magus of the moon uh which is something that every deck can do really the problem with blood moon which is why that card is totally not okay is because blood moon gives you access to red mana and red mana in turn doesn't allow you to interact with enchantments unless you're i mean yeah you can sink all of it into a scour from existence and pay seven mana to kill the blood moon but at that point you've lost the game then it might well put eight in it and cast an ugin i guess um so that doesn't work where Magma, uh, Magus of the Moon, it gives you access to red. Well, there's a one mana red card that kills this thing. You could just put a shock in your deck. Um, so, or again, Magma Spray, which is already a popular card. Another way you can go around it is to start evaluating cards that are easier to cast, even if they're in your colors. Right? If you're playing, let's say you're playing Vampires. Uh, I mean, you probably wouldn't end up playing against Magus, but just, you know, hear me out. You're playing Vampires, your deck contains. Four minivolt, four castle, uh, an herborg, maybe you're playing like two if near deadlands or something, because you feel like you can afford it. So even though you're playing a monocolored deck, your deck has a lot of non-basics. So maybe you shouldn't consider Grasp of Darkness to be free in your deck because you're mono black, because it's actually double black. And you know that Magus is actually a consideration. So that actually adds value to a Heartless Act it's actually a black and a colorless so you only need one swamp the same a uh, goes for soul shatter versus um i call it soul shatter versus hero's downfall or extinction event versus shadow's verdict where extinction event is just three and one black so it's really easy to cast um, it might add value to cards that cycle for colorless like neutralizes a counter spell and in that way like sure that might actually power your deck down a little bit if you start playing some cards just because they're easy to cast. But Brad, that's the point. So I feel like that is okay. Now, I also thought of something else, and this was just um, just a random thought that I had. Sometimes Wizards does this with cards, and it gives your opponent the ability to activate effects. Um, I believe there is a card in legacy that says something like it's an enchantment and it says whenever um a creature comes to play it immediately gets destroyed but a play any player can decide to skip a turn to destroy it so even if you don't have enchantment removal you you are giving your opponent a severe cost that they can pay to get rid of it we could do that with a blood moon yeah we could have a blood moon that says skip a turn to destroy this or pay five mana and discard a card to destroy this it's still you know so you play the blood moon on turn three your opponent has to actually like still might be able to have to play around it or they have to like quote unquote skip a turn by discarding a card and paying a boatload of mana to get rid of it i think that is a design space you could be able to explore. Because we haven't seen cards do this in a very long time, but I do think it's an interesting design choice where it's like, hey, I'm going to put this permanent on the battlefield, which is super problematic for you, but I am at the same time giving you a way to destroy it. It's just going to cost you. So if you want to, you know, make sure your mana base, you're like playing Niv, and it's like, yeah, if you want to hold up like of Colors, I play a Blood Moon, float that mana, it resolves, I Vanishing Verse it. that's still good but I can also make you pay a very severe cost. But that does actually allow you to print slightly more powerful cards because you don't need to think about how do people answer this. The answer is on the card.
0: I could already see Niv playing Growth Spiral as a sort of response to uh, to that card existing because then you could say, okay, I'm going to skip my turn to destroy that, but on your turn, I can still Growth Spiral and sort of pseudo catch back up as far as my land drops. Go. I mean,
1: again, yes,
0: and... And this is obviously, this is
1: talking about greedy mana base in general. This isn't just talking about how we're going to (laughs) f*** up Niv. This is just about how do we punish greedy mana bases. Because Niv is already moving to a more instant speed style gameplay. Now through Vanishing Verse, a lot of them run Kolagun's command, Prismari command. There's quite some instant speed stuff going on in Niv already. So sure, if the card just said like, skip your turn... Then Niv looks at its hand with four instance and it's like, sure, shrug. So that might not even be the best answer against Niv, but this is obviously just spitballing, but I think that is a type of design you could um implement. We've also seen people asking, like, so I'll go to Death Punch's question, do you think Ghost Quarter is okay? I don't think so, because I hate the fact that Ghost Quarter can hit basics um i just really don't like that in its design right if i put a couple of islands in my deck if i put two islands in my deck because even after being field of ruined and stuff i would be able to cast my counter spell i think that is a and like i could be running a castle here but i'm choosing to run an island because i want to play around that i think that should be rewarded in some way i don't generally don't like cards that touch basics um so that's personal uh but i don't um now something like tectonic edge might be good or a better tectonic edge um would be interesting
0: what's the card that panza uses
1: you mean the land or the destroy spell destroy they use stone rain pillage and muhuru acid Moss or something
0: would any of those be uh okay the stone rain and pillage are totally not
1: okay um acid Moss probably is uh because it's just a four mana stone rain but it gives you a forest too and we have four mana land destruction with upside in Pioneer, and it's not good enough. So Acid Moss would probably be okay. Um, also a little bit... I mean, it's not super hard to cast. I think it's too colorless and too green, but still a little easier than Stone Rain, which can effectively go in any deck with rat mana. Um, but the problem with those cards, and the problem people pointed out with Tectonic Edge, is that it's all too slow. If your opponent is on the play, and they have a Sylvan Carry it did, they're casting their niv before you can destroy their land, so you're too late, and that's why I would like something like Tectonic Edge, which can be activated earlier. Or I feel like maybe in Pioneer, we could even have Rashad and Port. Port might actually be okay in Pioneer. For the unfamiliar, what does that one do? Port is Rashad and Port is a land that taps for one of a color that just taps for colorless, and for one tap, you can tap another land. So what happens in Legacy here is that people played, for example, Legacy Goblins. They play Aether Vial, so they don't really use their mana. And they just use poor to constantly tap down its opponent's lands. But that does mean every turn you're paying effectively two mana to tap down one land from your opponent. So, and that cost, I feel like in Pioneer, actually adds up. Because we don't have a Aether Vial or like the ridiculous one-drops like Goblin Lackey that actually allow us to use two mana to get rid of one mana from your opponent's side, right? If you want to use Rosalem Port to buy yourself a turn or two against Niv, that means you're probably not casting spells in that time. And I think that cost is okay. So I think Port might actually be okay, because it doesn't destroy lands. It's a real cost, and not just like, yeah, I'm wastelanding you because I don't need this third mana.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Also, no wasteland, please. (laughs) Yes, I, I agree.
1: The real solution, strip mine. <laughs> MTG Goldfish Crew would be happy to hear that.
0: Oh, well, I'm sure they would.
1: I don't know if you know their meme. They always strip mine Tomer.
0: Yeah, I've seen. I've...
1: They always strip mine and whatever. Like, they just, they always mess up Tomer with it. I feel bad for the guy.
0: Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, so to quickly wrap this up, you know, our thoughts, my thoughts is Magus is probably fine. Um, or you could do some sort of design that... Um, Gives your opponent the answer, so again, something like, I think it's Toxic Fumes or something in in, uh, Legacy that land. There's a combo deck with it where you infinitely skip your own turn. Um, Or um, something like a fixed Tectonic Edge that can't hit, and obviously Tectonic Edge also can't hit basics. Um, Something along those lines, but I do feel like there should be appropriate punishment for really greedy mana. And I feel like you feel the same way, but you initially weren't too keen on Magus. I don't know if you, if I convinced you.
0: I mean... I, I think uh, I'm a bit more okay with it. Um, I just uh, I'm wary of cards like that. I guess I, I I see the obvious like ways of around like dealing with it and kind of working around it, but it's still like uh, I don't know. I feel like Pioneer's Pioneer is uh, like it's like that sensitive kid in class where. You can joke around with your buddies and like you know be a little rough and that kind of thing, but you can't approach it the same way with uh, with that kid because then you might hurt their feelings or make them cry or something like that. And that's okay, everyone's you know valid, but that that's pioneer. Where if you if you introduce the wrong thing, the community gets very upset and threatened to say we're just gonna make sure this game does this, this format dies, a la uh, Inverter and Combo. <laughs> Fair enough
1: so um now we're moving to a little bit of a sensitive subject with um a, a bunch of people asked the question on the line of are we worried about the format's future tying into in-store magic you know returning in what capacity um we can chime in a little bit there's going to be a bit of a longer one we can chime in a little bit about the MPL change um well the MPL removal really and what that means for the future of um competitive magic uh obviously the challenges didn't fire this weekend which is part of the reason we are able to do this mailbag because we don't actually have challenges to talk about um so just talking about the format's health in general uh i'll start um with nama nama's 84's question from reddit brad
0: why didn't i either challenge fire uh, poor scheduling by wizards uh, scheduling multiple PTQs along this within an hour of the start time of the Pioneer uh, challenges, um, which also happened on Mother's Day as well. And again, that's also Mother's Day. Yeah, stupid wizard for timing Mother's Day on that Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> no and uh, they also raised last month the cap to sixty four players uh, for challenges, and a lot of the uh, MTGO grinders and like people on uh, online on Twitter and things like that within the pioneer community. Uh, I've been calling for them to lower it back down to 32. Um, but I, that one, I'm a bit unsure of the, they're lowering it because they changed it around April 15th. The reasoning for changing it is because, um, they were testing it out. And then for like a while pioneer, uh, was constantly like, they even uh, quote, like, MTGO's, uh Twitter account was like, yeah, due to the recent success of Pioneer and things like that, and, like, recent playing of Pioneer, uh, I think they also said Legacy was the other one. Yeah, it was Legacy and Pioneer. We're deciding to we're deciding to keep with the 64, you know, cap. So people were making the cap work. It's just, I think it was just poor timing in, com- in combination with a higher cap, though I wouldn't be quick to lower it now because I, if it was working for the last month, It should, in theory, work as well. Um, But there's also that snowball issue of like, hey, from someone that's not as well informed, because I had to like look around and ask people that are within the community, figure out why it didn't fire instead of just assuming, oh, format's dead. Um, And for those who are uninformed, they might look at those three challenges in a row not firing, not understand the reason for it right away and be like, I guess there's no point in me coming back next week to try and play. And then you might have, you know, 10% of people think that way. And that 10% is what keeps the next one from firing. And then that 10% becomes 15% and 20% until like it, it's, it actually does hurt the format. So that that's the pessimistic idea of it. But that's certainly a possibility in terms of that snowball effect.
1: Yeah. So it, it, it's not something I would immediately be too worried about. I mean... There, there were multiple reasons tying in, and it's obviously might be a bit of a problem if we see it in the future. But again, uh, Wizards has the uh, sort of like lifeline support option of just lowering the cap to 32, and they would just fire every weekend. Like, no problem.
0: Yeah. It is also worth noting that um, the Mother's Day one not firing was the first challenge in Pioneer to not fire since Inverter was legal in the format.
1: Legal or you mean banned? Like because they consistently didn't fire when yeah like it was Pione- when Inverter was leaked. So you mean after Inverter was banned? Since then they've always been firing.
0: Yes, the last yeah the last challenge that didn't fire Inverter and Kethus and all those were not banned yet. Oh yeah, okay, okay, all right. All
1: right. So now unless there's something else you want to touch on in regards to the challenges, nope. Um, we're gonna move for the future of Pioneer outside of the realm of digital magic, and last week. Wizards um, posted an article and it said, Esports transition and getting back to the gathering. And I'll focus on the back to the gathering part and I'll lead into this question a little bit. Well, we'll lead into the subject a little bit. It's not maybe as much of a question, but more of a subject. Um, so I'll obviously not read out the entire article, but it's basically there was a big focus in magic on esports and digital magic even before the pandemic started already, right with the introduction of the MPL and basically moving all of that through Arena, recognizing that you cannot stream a tournament to a massive audience on MTGO. You could argue that, but I mean, obviously Arena helps and it's much more appealing. Imagine getting a YouTube ad for playing Match the Gathering online, right? Um, like no one would. But moving back post-pandemic and looking at the future and going back to The Gathering, and sort of taking a step back from that enormous digital focus. They had a couple of points to say about it. In-person play is a unique strength for Magic, and we need to lean into that. That means local tournaments, large regional tournaments, and high-level in-person events. So some people, when the pandemic hit, were afraid that Paper Magic was just dead at that point. It's like, we are a digital game now. Clearly, Wizards doesn't see it that way, luckily. Digital play is here to stay, but is only part of the equation. We've seen great players rise from the digital ranks, and we've seen what's possible with digital events. Expect the future to hold a mix of digital and in-person events. Accessibility is important, and that means broader access to play. We're looking at everything from local events and the successes of Command Fest to creating more levels of play that are open to a broader swath of players. A larger audience means more types of events. Um, Then we need to be patient again, it's gonna take a while for stuff of like this to pick up. Uh, and flexibility is important. As we're re-establishing tabletop play, our system may need regular updating as play and travel become safer. Obviously, it's not like in two months we're gonna go back to the way it was, right? Those t- those last two points kind of tie into each other. So paper play is coming back. And Wizards is excited to an extent to get paper play involved. And this is where I want to tie into something someone mentioned on the Reddit and Nikachu uh I believe talked about this um on his streams because he regularly gets asked about pioneer and he very rightfully says pioneer is a paper format. Right? Pioneer wasn't is never has never been a good digital format. It was late to the party on MTG on MTGO. It involves a lot of recent standard cards which you can all find on Arena, but it's not on Arena. So it's called in this weird, like, and obviously Modern and Legacy and stuff are all quite well established on Arena. So it's like caught in Limbo, where the jump to Arena can, well, I would say can happen at any point, but not really, but is definitely on the agenda. So it's in Limbo between MTGO and Arena. And with paper play coming back, that, you know, is a good future prospect for Pioneer. Being a mostly established paper format. Now I've rambled for a lot. So anything you want to comment on this, Brad? Anything you want to chip in? Or
0: it's 100% a paper format, and um, that's that is the lifeblood, like of, of of Pioneer, is seeing paper play. It's what got a lot of people into it. Um, when you saw pro players taking stuff to events at the beginning of the format and like testing the waters. And not only is paper play important for Pioneer in general. It's important for the creativity of the format, because I've been saying this for a few months now, getting incentive for pro uh, pro players to play Pioneer, because right now there's none, right? Like, there's literally none. The MTGO events are better suited towards, like, like there's more events to like there are some small ones for pioneer but there's more for modern legacy things like that so these NTGO grinders or these like pro players be like yeah i'll just go fire up a a modern event play more of those get more reps of this deck in and then have a larger prize option available or a bigger slew of them where and then on the other side arena has historic and, and standard and that's it so giving pro players a reason to play the format and pick it up will make it so that there are decks that just kind of like pop up out of nowhere, seemingly, and we're and they the format gets figured out at a faster rate. And uh there's a very good chance that Niv is not the best deck. Like there there is a very good chance of that. And I've been saying there's a very good chance of there being a Death Shadow type deck in Pioneer that just has not been discovered yet. But the card that is the the deck is there. It is it is buildable. It's just no one's really quite gotten it yet because pro players don't have a reason to play the format but going back to paper and giving them a reason to play the format is massive incredible and then more eyes on the format because pro players playing it and solving the format getting more decks and more interesting things involved means more interest in the format in general which means more incentive for Wizards to put it on Arena, which means even more people playing the deck or playing the other format, more decks getting tried out, more reason to have like actual pro players coming into the format on top of that, and you get that beautiful yin-yang of paper and digital. And then maybe Pioneer can be a successful digital format. It all comes back to paper. Yeah, because it's it's anchored to paper magic.
1: So it works digitally because it's well-established in paper. And yeah, I think that makes sense. Um... I think another point, and this sort of strengthens its like idea of moving back to paper magic, and it gives me more trust in that, like the future of Pioneer, because again, it is strongly tied to paper play. Um, I want to quickly mention, because I sort of did it in between, the MPL is gone, basically. It'll be gone by next year,
0: I believe. Um, yeah, they, they have like a 15-month heads up, basically.
1: Yeah, in 15 months, the MPL will be no more, and there's going to be a yet-to-be-determined new competitive structure returning. What they've basically said is that professional magic is dead, and the idea—and here you have to split—or professional magic is basically dead, or at least like not something. They were, I think, they were told like the pros were told something like we should not consider magic to be a career or something along those lines. Um, because and the difference is competitive magic and professional magic is a difference, right? The professor pointed it out in his video on this. Professional means magic is my job, and I work. Yeah, 40 hours a week just magic, that's my livelihood. Competitive magic is I write articles, I do streaming, or maybe I just work a completely different job like 3 or 4 days a week and in my weekend or like longer weekend I play magic at a high level to make more money, right? To be part of my salary. And that part of magic
0: mm-hmm.
1: will live on. And later they said on Twitter, the Magic Esports account on Twitter did some damage control basically stated like there will be a structure akin to the old one they're not saying we're going back to the old structure but there will be a structure like the old system so the pptq gp pro tour type of system uh, will in some way shape or form return they were very vague about it now i don't want to touch on this much longer because i frankly don't know enough about it um so the professor did a video on it which links and ties into a video paulo vito dama de rosa did and an interview paulo vito dama de rosa did which were both linked in that video's description the interview was with the professor uh, paulo's video like solo video on it is on his own channel and i would recommend if you want to have more thoughts on it watch that one especially watch paulo's one because well he is a pro player he is in the MPL, he knows much more about this than than i do yeah it's fair um then i wanna um let's see so we had some uh, things so in-store magic we talked about why didn't the challenges fire now i want to go on a i know i've already been talking a bit but uh, a small rant i would say more a i want to express some frustration and it is the pioneer is dead meme and this is a it's almost just like the people on reddit twitter wherever and especially other content creators who have a lot of influence on in the public opinion um i talked about this in the fast when like the bnr was announced and jim davis said something like oh and there's a pioneer announcement wait pioneer exists haha <laughs> roll laugh track and this is not the shit on jim davis or to any content creator anymore i'm not gonna name mention anyone by name the expression is uh, if the cap fits wear it don't know if you've heard of that brad
0: yeah, we have some more things.
1: If the shoe fits, wear it. The Dutch version that I always think of: "Wie de schoen past, trekken hem aan," which is the Dutch expression. I mean, usually, which just, which basically just means if I say this, and you're like, I think this applies to me, then listen to this. And if you don't think it applies to you, you can ignore it. Yeah. Um, I hate the, I, I hate it when content creators just, and this is obviously because I like Pioneer a lot, and they just shit on Pioneer without like playing it. So they played it when Pioneer, when Inverter was around. Uh, they play a league every five weeks maybe on stream and they're like, yeah, this format's that. this format sucks, nobody likes it, don't play this. Or they just endlessly meme about it being dead, being stupid, being boring, blah 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 blah, when 90% of their games were played during the Inverter era. Just fucking stop, right? If you're a content creator or any person with any influence, any following, and you don't play Pioneer, you don't know a lot of Pioneer, don't comment on it, Right? I haven't played Modern in a while. When I watch Modern content, it doesn't look fun to me. But I don't play it enough, I don't know enough about it, so I'm not gonna go on Twitter and every time someone mentioned Modern, comment something stupid like, I thought Modern was stupid and dead. I don't know fuck about it because I don't play it, so don't, right? Words have meaning. If you're a content creator or have any following, you influence the public perception. If you keep saying that Pioneer is shit, people will believe that Pioneer is shit and they won't try it. And why? Is this just despite us? Is it because you're afraid we're taking players away from other formats? Like just just don't. Let people enjoy what they want to enjoy. And if you're well established, well invested, then maybe your opinion holds some weight. Otherwise, just shut up, please.
0: Yeah. And Pioneer's not perfect. Uh, we're not saying that. No, obviously not. Every format has some, you know, pros and cons. Like for example, like for me for Pioneer right now, the gameplay lately hasn't been anything inherently interesting or like super interesting or like unique doesn't mean i'm not having fun playing the format i still love this format but if there is something if there's any issue i have with pioneer is that it's pretty you know straightforward and uh uninspiring uh gameplay if that makes sense but other than that it's fine
1: yeah i i see what you mean there's some games where you kind of know that they're over five turn five turns in advance yeah and in other formats you're just dead and in pioneer sometimes you get to games so where you're kind of just waiting to die but that's not every or you're waiting for your opponent to die and you're like dude please give up right but that is like the only thing and my main point is just like i don't know if you if you've got nothing nice to say just don't say anything because the Magic community is really good at being negative, And they hated Pioneer. That's what they're best at. Yeah, they hated Pioneer six months ago, so they hate it now, even though they haven't played it.
0: Yeah, but they loved it. They loved it a year ago. Or, well, actually, well, not a year ago now, because we're in May and that was close to Companions. so ugh. Or it's like,
1: yeah, like, I hate Pioneer, play Modern. Well, tell me why Modern's great. Don't tell me why I shouldn't play Pioneer. Tell me why I should play Modern. Right, that's just like, can we just turn this? And this is it doesn't even just apply to Pioneer. There have been other formats in the past that people just shit on without playing them, right? There's always memes about tiny leaders or whatever. Well, I've never played tiny leaders. I've never played, what's the one where you can have a planeswalker as a commander and they have like a signature spell? That was popular a while ago. Oh, that's, that's uh, Oathbreaker? Oathbreaker. Uh, I've heard people for a while talk about Gladiator. Fine, enjoy it. I'm not going to comment on it because I haven't played it.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's also Canadian Highlander, which I find really confusing. Okay, that's confusing, but it looks fascinating to me on the outside. Like you
1: got this weird point system to build your deck with and you could put like Time Walk in your Commander deck. It's like, ooh.
0: <laughs> the best way I can think about it is like there's fantasy draft uh, for like football, baseball and things like that. Like All different sports have a fantasy league they can do. And you draft a team and how, they, how the players perform in real life. That's how your team performs in the game and you're playing against other people doing the same thing. And you try to win the whole thing there are versions of fantasy leagues where it's an auction draft where each person receives a salary and there are players based on how well they perform IRL have a base salary that you have to meet so you can't just if you full of a league of like dumb people that don't know how to draft you can't just get lucky and draft the top person or every every position because they have a cost to them So you have a a point system of which you can't just be super stacked. Like, in real life, there's a salary cap. You can't just have every best player in the entire league because they want to get paid, and they need to get paid. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're the New York Yankees or any big market team in baseball because salary cap in baseball is a (laughs) f***ing joke. Anyway. Moving on from baseball.
1: So... I'm going to slightly rephrase this question. Well, I mean, I don't even have to, but I'll read, All right, I'll read it out. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Mauritius BR. Um, I'm going to calm myself down for a little bit because I've been frustrated about the previous thing. What do you think that should be done to make Pioneer gas again, like the beginning of the format? Now, again, gas again. I still think the format's great, but obviously like the start. right? Pioneer was obviously at its best right at the start when nobody had a clue what they were doing. Um, so how do we make Pioneer gas again? How do we make Pioneer super cool again, Brad?
0: Bring back pro uh, pro players. That's that's the number one thing. You bring back pro players because they'll find decks that we can't figure out. And uh, I mean, you could unban something. Um, well, I could be I could be biased and say Kethis, but like re- realistically, I would say unban. Um,
1: but will that make the whole format fun again, or would it just add a cool deck?
0: I mean, adding a cool deck might. Shake things up enough. What if you unban like kethis and like Leyline of Abundance and just say, "Hey, have fun." Because, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> hey, when I think of when I think of Pioneer being gas, I immediately think of Leyline Abundance. If like in like the games that you had with that, no, that that means there is a lot of gas in your hand. That doesn't mean
1: to throw it on this fast gas to okay, play. Okay,
0: okay, but but listen, listen, hear me out, hear me out. The good th- the reason I think Leyline Abundance isn't that bad of a card now is because we don't have walking ballista to just be like, here's a 30-30. <laughs> Can you kill it? Oh, on the stack? You're going to target it with a fatal push? You silly fk. <laughs> this is what's going to happen now. Okay, you ready? You ready? I'm going to ping you. I'm going to ping you again. I'm going to ping you again. Oh, you have another Fatal Push? It doesn't fucking matter, dude. I'm going to ping you again. <laughs> I can just keep removing these counters, baby. You're dead? Holy shit, That was fun. That was a fun game, right? Oh my <laughs> god, I love this game so much. Me and I, your opponent's going like, oh, this is my pride stupid. And that's why the format is, quote-unquote, dead. But we don't have Walking Ballista, so Wayland opponents is probably just cool. You have Elder Gargaroth, you, and you have a Questing Beast. I'm proud of you, buddy. So, but
1: yeah i think obviously a big one is to get the pros on it but the other one because i think the main point is how do you make pioneer gas again like the start well people need to be brewing that's what made pioneer great at the start you went to i think the first couple of weeks of pioneer i went to an event i think two events a week because i went to a friday to an FM at different game stores because they they had like lined it up so you could play pioneer every week every FM basically and I would play some sort of a showdown on Saturday or a PPTQ on Saturday or like a similar type event. I think in the first like five or six Pioneer events I played, I played against the same deck like th- four times. And it was all like the OCO like all the overpowered cards in one deck deck.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And aside from that, I played against Brew after Brew after Brew after Brew. And that's what makes a format r- real gas. So the first one is to get the pros on it, because the pros will do the brewing for you. And then there will be some sort of new crazy deck to play every week, like Enigmatic Incarnations, which randomly just showed up one week. Right, That will happen more often with pros having eyes on the format. The second one is to just get it on Arena, dude. Like, where is it? I, I remember... Do... Well, do I remember it correctly that they initially said that you could expect pioneer masters end of 2020 do i remember that correctly
0: uh yeah so they said it was the it was the september um i believe no no i'm sorry no it was the july it was the july state of the game where they said quarter 4 is when we're going to have uh, pioneer masters then september's uh state of the game was when they said we need to put uh, push forward Kaladesh instead, and then put this on the back burner for now. And since September, uh, September's state-of-the-game thing announcing Pioneer Masters 2021, we have not had a single mention of Pioneer in any state-of-the-game update since then.
1: I saw, because I, I found this old tweet I did in January. January 22nd, there was the developer roadmap, and it featured Coming Soon, Caldheim and Android Early Access. In development, Historic Anthology 4, iOS support, tablet support, min-spec Android launch, and Strixhaven. Then it said, in concept, Pioneer Masters, collection interface improvements, adventure in the Forgotten Realm, deck sharing, and PlayBlade rework, which I initially read as Beyblade rework. And I was like, what the hell is this? Uh Um, So we were in early 2020, and Pioneer Masters was in concept. We've had Strixhaven by now, which was in development, Adventure in the Forgotten Realm is coming, which is also in concept, and we're already getting Historic Anthologies Five, which wasn't even on this thing. Like, yeah, did they just forget? Um, do they like, like? I know they want to monetize
0: the ever living hell out of it, right? And this is almost like, look, if they w- if they went to the original Historic thing of like double wildcards, I'd be like, you know what? Fine, I'll pay double wildcards for Pioneer at this point. I don't give a. F-. I mean. The
1: um, I don't know. It's just getting it to arena would obviously be amazing. Um, they uh, an ex a reason I've heard from other people is like yeah, they still need to do animations for cards, and that just takes a long time.
0: I don't give a shit about animations though.
1: Um, Strixhaven has like four animations in for the mythics, so we we don't need an animation for every mythic. People don't care. There's probably plenty of people,
0: myself included, who would rather switch animations off anyway um Well, and to go on the animation thing is like that should not be a reason you don't push out a product because if you have the cards and they're coded in the game and they work, yeah. So, but but we don't know if that's a reason, but we know they can put these cards
1: in the game. We know they can, right? I I had a thing. I think it's like six thousand cards they need to put in. Less, I think it's less than six thousand cards that they have to put in. Less because
0: they're adding more and more with like a sorgentologies. Like yeah,
1: yeah, and and. Well, but every card they add in a standard set is a pioneer card that's now already in the format so it, it's never getting more the amount of cards they have to get from his in from pioneer right now will only shrink through anthologies adding a couple through remastered sets adding a couple so it's just like there is this giant stack of cards on their desk and all they have to do is get some cardboard and assemble the box right and It's really not, it's never gonna be that they have to, well, if we wait, we need to assemble two boxes, three boxes, and we, whatever. No, one box, put the damn cards in, make it so I can click on play for my pioneer, and allow me to play the game. This shouldn't be that hard, right? And if it's hard for them, they're, sorry, but even more incompetent with Arena than they already seem to be. So now there's two reasons that I can think of, and they're both kind of frustrating. They obviously want to monetize the ever-living hell out of it. So they would rather bring it back in 12 different draft sets and then eventually we have Pioneer in four years and they will have monetized the last dollar out of every draft format. That would obviously be terrible for the format because it takes way too long to get to Arena. The second one, I think, is because even if they had the ability to drop all of Pioneer on Arena now, they couldn't. Because people wouldn't be able to play because they don't have the wild cards and the economy is so bad that you can't just play the game, right? They would need to change the economy. They would have to have like a land box, right? Where you just get every rare land in Pioneer for an X amount of money. Just set X amount of gems. So you don't have to...
0: Just a subscription service, like 20 bucks a month and you get every card. I mean, that would
1: work. Right, just there would be something they have to change about Arena's economy, because in the current economy, you can actually drop a format on top of people that's like still so large, right? Six thousand cards is relatively small for a format, but well there's like eight thousand cards in total. But like six thousand new cards is not a very big format, but it is a lot of cards to dump onto people's heads and ask them to craft whichever ones they want of it. In the current arena economy, it doesn't work. And I think they're just afraid of exposing their shitty system even more than they already have. But again, to just wrap up this question, uh, make a Pioneer guess again, get pros on it, and get it on Arena. Those are the two steps they need to take. And I think, honestly, Pioneer is fun and enjoyable and diverse enough that if you do these two things, you will have a very successful format. I think it's not a gamble. If you get pros eyes on it and you get Pioneer on Arena, the format will do well. Like Historic was actually a bit of a gamble. I don't think Pioneer is a gamble at all. I think the format has proven itself pre-pandemic that it'll be fine.
0: And if we can get through the bullshit that happened with the pandemic as well as the combo summer, um, I think we we can survive in paper. Honestly, Pioneer had the
1: very worst start that a format can have. All excitement, all excitement. Pandemic. No paper magic. What the f*** do I do with my cards? Okay, we are in like a one or two month tumble of people are picking up an MTGO, people are getting used to MTGO, people are setting up webcam leaks, blah blah blah. Theros is released, we get Sun Gun, Breach, Uro, and Inverter, and it's a half year slugfest to get through these shit cards before they're finally banned. Mm -hmm. That is like the worst start that a format can have. Yet pioneer is here. Yep, I think that actually proves how good the format is, and it doesn't. It does. It actually speaks positively of the format, not negatively. I agree. So after these heated questions are over, um, now we're just into some specific decks, specific cards, and general questions. So these are probably going to be slightly less lighthearted, and I'm going to be less shouty and less sweary. So I'll take a bit of a breather <laughs> and move on to Brad thoughts on phoenix and not running sprite dragon is it the lack of good fast cantrips that just make it a bad inclusion
0: i mean i think it's just that phoenix is such a weird deck that you can't just run four ofs sprite dragon wants to be in a deck that runs four ofs where you have the consistency to just kind of like churn through your deck but phoenix needs to churn through their deck while also having all these different pieces that can have different utility, and provide different situational, um, you know, context. So I could see Sprite Dragon working in a build of Phoenix that, you know, is more consistent, or like can be a bit more narrow, but then you lose the other aspect of Phoenix of being like, I just have this one of that just is awesome in this position here. Um, though, I will say, a straight up is it Blitz-style deck with Sprite Dragon and Expressive Iteration and things like that is uh, really cool. You should play it.
1: So for my uh, answer, I will say that I threw about a little bit of a curveball with not answering this one first because I actually read this question yesterday and I was also thinking like, yeah, I just think it's like, you know, it doesn't really need it. The deck's functioning fine. You need like a certain density of instant sorceries. And then this morning... I'm waiting for class. I've got an hour to kill. I check on Twitter. I see that friend on the podcast, um, Akaros is streaming and he's actually testing Sprite Dragon in Phoenix. And it seemed perfectly fine. Really? And there were a lot of situations where he wanted to draw it. I think he had three in the main and like an additional one on the side or something. Um, And it seemed actually kind of promising. So if you think Sprite Dragon should be played in Phoenix, just give it a few a week or two and let's see if the card proves itself. Uh, I think a lot of the points that Brad make are still valid, and they are the criticisms on the card. Uh, you need a density of instant sorceries, otherwise your phoenixes are just never coming back. But it seems like the card is actually picking up a little bit of steam. Sweet. I mean, even the upside of people are playing more Narset, and this thing haste and just pokes it for one, which is actually pretty relevant against Narset, because either it stops an activation, or it just outright kills it if it went to one and it unlocks your decks again. That's a really cool card. The Sprite Dragon, actually pretty good. And actually seeing play in the deck now, so let's hope it picks up. I like the card. It also throws your opponent for an interesting curveball of keeping in cards like Fatal Push, which normally might actually end up seeing a few copies of them cut. That's a good point. All right, so this one I accidentally lobbed here, but I think we've talked about this enough. It was by Chud Studley. Uh, do you think there is a way to effectively nerf out niv without just nuking their two namesake cards is niv even a deck worth bringing down a notch it's certainly not super dominant but it seems maybe just too versatile is there any obvious strategy against niv um now we talked about the mana bases we talked about mid-range etc but i do think the last one is actually an interesting one to touch on is there an obvious strat- strategy against niv
0: yeah counter spells um any any control deck that can come in
1: i can tell you from experience that is only half true because niv throws so many haymakers at your face that if at one point you run enough counter spells and they stick one niv you probably immediately lose so um niv- counters counter spells are good against niv uh, mono blue tempo having some sort of a clock and card advantage is probably a pretty good niv one now mono blue tempo in general is kind of poor but if you're just looking to hate out your friend who always beats you with Niv, uh, Mono Blue Tempo can work. Uh, Phoenix actually has a pretty good Niv matchup, which is part of the reason it's played now. I didn't know that myself, but I have been told by uh, people on our Discord when someone asked a question in the mailbag and they're like, yeah, Phoenix is great against Niv. And I'm like, yeah, oh, I guess that makes sense. Moving on to the question after, again by Pure Steel. We asked a couple of questions, but they're all good ones, so I'm just going to be answering all of them. What do you think would make Sylvan Advocate a playable card in Pioneer? I think it might already be good, but its lack of play makes me hesitant.
0: You need so many lands for it to get turned on. You, there's not enough ramp in Pioneer that's super like consistent and great. Like There's good ramp, but not anything absurd. Um, and then the idea of like ramping into stuff fast enough to make it pumped is... Not worthwhile because the deck that card wants me in a deck that's a bit more aggressive, maybe even a rock style deck that, like, like we talked about earlier. Um, but then the pieces surrounding it, like you alluded to earlier with the mid range issue, is not there to complement the card to let it be as aggressive or not. On top of which, it's already a fatal push target, which is the second most played card in the format. Well, actually, third most played card behind Mystical Dispute and Thoughtseize. And uh, yeah, that's why it's not good enough. I love the card myself. That was my first standard deck. I want it to be good. It is not
1: yeah the main thing with sylvan character sylvan carried it is a good card and it's just not good enough advocate it's a solid car sylvan advocate what did i say carried
0: it that's a very good card yeah that, that card is good enough and it's also <laughs> two
1: mana now uh, sylvan advocate again brad pretty much covered all of it it is good but just not good enough it is it lacks the individual power and once you get to six lands it gets a little bit bigger by the time you get to six lands, your four or five might as well be a two,
0: three. Here's the here's the problem, right, to a certain extent. Wild Growth Walker with Explore Package is better than, than this card, and that's not good. So, fair enough. I think
1: that's a fair point. Um, now, the only exception is if you manage to actually do a lot with your lands, and this, again, doesn't sound like a deck that would just be great, but a deck that would be a whole lot of fun. Uh, having Faceless Haven, Mudevoldt, uh maybe you get in some of the better manlands from zendikar like um what's the what's the simic one that's lumbering falls yeah like you start doing like some lumbering falls hissing quagmire muda faceless haven shenanigans and then this actually works as like a lord for your land creatures it's kind of cute but
0: i mean if you're gonna play like a land centric
1: deck i mean this list sounds insanely fun to play so if Pierce, do if you ever make a list, please send it my way. I'd love to try it.
0: <laughs> it also sounds insanely fun to play as a land deck. The Gitrog Monster. Ooh, yeah. The Toad. Yeah, we like that card a lot. Oh, <gasps> ooh, would would Demogoth Titan and Demogoth Woe Eater be good in, in a land deck like that? Why? Because it could eat your you could animate your lands so it trigger on the stack and then eat them, or maybe.
1: Um, that's always fun with Muta Vault because it can just activate itself. God, Mutavolt is such a good card. <laughs> I do love that card. So, Scythe Younger. I hope I said it correctly. What's going on with mono black aggro? Is it just being pushed out of the meta because of terrible matchup against Niv or Jund food? The answer to that's probably yes.
0: Yes, uh, Jund food is really good against it. Um, Sylvan carrotid is such a good blocker against the deck as well. With Niv being the top deck in the format, uh, you know, representation wise. Um, so, because you have a bunch of two ones right? So what are you going to do against Karyatid? Nothing. You're not going to push it. Um, your only hope is going wide or trying to get down a Spawn of Mayhem, but then you can't even get a Spawn of Mayhem down uh, early with its, uh, you know, with its um, spectacle cost because you're not hitting them because of Tid. Um Other decks just seem to be a bit more versatile right now. You have Phoenix. Um,
1: yeah, I think... Phoenix is pretty good against Mono Black. Magma Spray. Yep. Magma Spray is actually the seventh most played card at this point, which is a great card against mono black. Uh, Anger of the Gods is really good against mono black. Uh, Shadows' Verdict is really good against mono black,
0: absurdly good against mono black. And the mirror control is up there as one of the better decks. Um, it's just mono black. It 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 had this versatile option for the longest time, right? That like it was the deck that could just be so resilient and kept coming after you. But now that we've gotten uh, and we got. Uh, verdict a while ago but um now that we've gotten a good amount of cards that just hate out the deck so effectively and the meta is paired up against a uh, mono black to where it just feels like an uphill battle you're better off and this is a deck that actually shares the same percentage i believe last time i checked they were both at like one and a half 1.7 percent each uh and i would say vampires is the better option because at least that one has a way to kind of go over top certain elements of decks but you lose a lot of the same games that Mono Black would anyway. So it's a really, really tough position for the deck right now. And I just it it needs Copter to, to to be good again. Which you want to talk about later.
1: Yeah, the the problem with Mono Black is is just that it plays like this small ball value game that just doesn't work in the current meta. It's a it's a game that has been good for a very long time in pioneer and it also doesn't help that we don't have a lot of combo decks lying around which is actually the type of deck that mono black's pretty good against just because it plays a bunch of you know one mana two ones um or one mana one twos that grow and then it backs it up with some thought seizes and some rankles to like starve out your opponent and that is just it's a game plan it's really good at it's just a game plan that isn't very good at the moment it just fills a role that it currently that's currently not being asked for, uh, but definitely, um, given the right meta, mono black has the power to be a good deck. And again, it's not like mono black is completely shite now. It occasionally shows up. It's just not in the place where it was.
0: Yep, that's pretty much it. I'm sure it'll come back at some point, though. It, it usually fluctuates.
1: Yeah, true. Um especially if we see through new cards or something or through people discovering a good foil to Niv, we see the matchup the meta shake up a little bit, um we could very quickly see Mono Black come back. Because we talked about the NIV matchup is bad, uh the Phoenix matchup is bad, and Phoenix is to an extent a response to Niv. So if Niv is played less, there's less of a reason to play Phoenix, therefore there's eventually more of a reason to play Mono Black aggro. Right. Um, The next question by Amuron5 on Reddit. We all know that our allied color mana bases aren't half as good as moderns, or the rest of Pioneers. Because of this, I'm curious which cycle you would want to add first. So this is basically Painlands or Fastlands.
0: Well, I mean, if you add your sabie, the triumphs of both of them... Um...
1: Yeah, okay, like if we're talking uh, also the three, I'm immediately thinking of the two-color decks. Yeah, I would finish the Triumphs for my own sake, but...
0: Between the Painlands and Fastlands, I'd say the Fastlands, they have a bit more... I mean, they're both applicable uh, to whatever deck you throw them in, and they essentially accomplish the same thing. It's just the Fastlands are just the better of the, the two. Um, The the Fastlands have the higher ceiling, and the, the Painlands are safer, is essentially what it comes down to.
1: Yeah, in in the grand scheme of things, I don't. I think all three. Uh, it kind of doesn't matter, right? The triomes is like, the triomes would just make these three color decks. will just work a little bit better. That's nice. Uh, but for the aggro decks between the fastlands and the painlands, I think at this point they're just like just give me anything, right?
0: Oh, Esper control with an Esper triome.
1: Oh, Ooh. But they just they just want anything, and I don't think it particularly matters which one you give them. Now, I know Karn has been messing about with, like, eventually going back to um, Mirrodin, like, already starting, like, back in Dominaria and having, like, some extra touches on in War of the Spark. And I would be shocked and also disappointed if they didn't reprint the Fastland cycle in Mirrodin, because they're from Mirrodin. Yeah. The original Fastlands. And that also, flavor wise, makes them really hard to reprint. Because Silver Sea uh, Chrome Coast, I think, this depicts an ocean made out of liquid metal. That's not something you easily flavor onto other planes. So I feel like the. Eh, Amon cat has got a river of metal, right? So I feel like they can either do it in a core set, because in a core set, they can go wherever they want. Um. Or they need to do it when we go back to Phyrexia. So I will. I would actually expect that... I mean, I could make the call just 2022, we're getting it. But I would be surprised if we weren't getting the Fastland cycle probably in 2022, given I would say it's about damn time we go back to Phyrexia in 2022. But which one, for the sake of power, I don't care. Anything, really. Um, then a question by Waddles... How well does Mill work in Pioneer?
0: Uh, Frank Sanity is kind of cool. Madden Cacophony with Frank Sanity is cool. We have one of the Crabs. We have the uh, persistent petitioners. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like it. It's not nearly on the level it is in Modern. If we had both Crabs, I'd I'd be like, yeah, we. Give it a shot. Probably probably really fun. I think rogues is the best way to go about a mill deck in pioneer um, with drown lock, <laughs> uh, things like that. Um, and I'm still interested in like a Lurus rogues kind of thing that plays like a curious obsession. Um, I would still like to try that out, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm sure you could, I've played against mill early on in the format I just uh, oh, what's the one from? Um, it's either Eldric Moon or Shadows of Innistrad. Um, the Flippy Land that was played in Mill. Startled Awake, yeah, yeah. The
1: four mana Mill thirteen, where you can bring it back for five mana as a one-one. That if it connects, it goes back to your hand. You can cast it again.
0: Yeah, I th- I love that card so much. Not good in Pioneer, but I... <laughs>
1: no. So here is how I would make Mill work. Now I am assuming if you want to play Mill, you want to go purest Mill. Right? We're not gonna occasionally win with damage. Right. We're milling more opponents out, and if we're putting a Gaias blessing in the deck, we're conceding, right? <laughs> like that that is be- Well, we're we're putting a stifle effect in our sideboard. Uh hopefully to stifle the Gaia's blessing. Um and in that way, I would just go um Dimir control. I would take out Torrential Gearhawk, I would take out uh Shark Typhoon, you know, take additional win conditions. You eventually wanna end up But I think just four Maddening Cacophony, which is the two mana mill eight, but you can pay an additional four, kick it, and then it just mills your opponent for half their library. Uh, Four of that, four Fraying Sanity, which is a three mana curse that you can give to your opponent. And it says at the beginning of their end step, they get milled equal to the amount of cards that were put into their graveyard this turn. So you basically just double the amount of milling you do on every end step. Obviously removal counts too, but mainly the milling.
0: I am so f***ing ahead of you, Alex. It is absolutely disgusting.
1: you probably build it.
0: I did. I just sent it to you.
1: Yeah. And, um... Has a, has
0: a great name, too, by the way.
1: So, and four Cacophony, four, um... Oh, and you're not making the mistake that I would warn people of. Well done. Um... But there's a card missing in this deck. Mm. Four Fraying Sanity, four mana Cacophony, or maybe one or two less of each, and just put in four Thirst for Meaning. So, you're discarding the cards you don't need. And if you discard a Fraying Sanity, you're actually just like going up a lot of cards if you have an extra copy. Uh, maybe a couple of Drown in the Logs, but not too many. Because don't lean into the mill payoffs too hard. Don't play into the story. Don't play anti cognition. Don't play a play set of Drown in the Log. Like, don't do any of that. Just your win condition is basically a combo. Where you're not playing mill in the traditional sense... Where it's like, oh, I'm going to mill you for five this turn and four the turn after and then eight and then ten and then four and then three and you eventually run out of cards. Because then you're just fueling graveyard strategies. Um, also, uh, someone commented underneath, Tyrant, who, by the way, has been an absolute champ in already asking, answering some of these questions or helping people out with quick answers. So thank you very much, Tyrant. But he says, for example, well, but Yorion's very common. Thing is, if you play this combo... Your opponent could be playing Battle of Wits. It doesn't matter because their library is immediately gone. And that's what I would play. Play Demir Control with effectively a combo finish. I think traditional mill, again, just random milling for eight, manic scribe, start all the wake, that doesn't work. Right? That's gonna that's gonna make you lose a lot of games and it's gonna fuel a lot of dig through times. Please don't do that. But Maddening cacophony with um frame sanity? yeah that's probably pretty decent it's probably a weaker demir control but you're still running the powerful demir control shell so you're probably not that poorly off yeah
0: it's probably fun too
1: yeah um now a general we're going to some general questions the first one is by tyrant himself what are your favorite underrated decks in pioneer let's it's actually two questions so let's do that one first favorite underrated deck in pioneer
0: oh that's a tough one um, underrated deck and Pioneer. Now, when we say underrated, do we mean it has a place within the meta already? Like, is, are these rogue decks or are these, like, ones that just aren't, we feel aren't played enough? Like, what do you define as underrated?
1: I, I would say, like, really rogue. Like, like hasn't shown up in a challenge in, like, a long time.
0: Dredge is dredge. Yeah. Good answer. I love that deck so much, and it's so much fun. You That turn one Citrus Supplier, where you go amoeba prize amalgam prize amalgam and then you're like oh this is the best this is the best game ever this is the greatest game ever i've ever played i've never done anything like this this is oh my god and then you also (laughs) get those ones where you go uh scissor supplier and you kept a one lander and you mill three lands and you're like (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) the deck is really hit
1: or miss it's it's really annoying that you can't target yourself with and cacophony
0: oh it's so unfortunate be a, That'd be great, be an amazing card. It, I mean, <laughs> we get that joke. Dredge got a new toy. <laughs> it would really get a new toy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dreadfuls
1: Dredge has Dredge, the cool thing where you've got driven to despair, and a thing that Niv did for a while, and they they don't do it anymore. Uh, I'm not an expert, so I don't exactly know why. I should have asked Sean, uh, who is our uh, main Niv guy on the Discord. Um, and they ran Rectal's Return for a while as a sort of mirror breaker because your opponent like ah i play a niv and then you're like ha i'm gonna make you discard seven cards and now all your niv cards are gone which was actually like a really fun card um depending on your perspective but i find it fun as in like a card we hadn't seen in a very long time dredgeless dredge does that with driven to despair
0: yeah such a good card
1: where you have a bunch of like random narcomoebas and stuff and you know they're like oh they're swinging for seven next turn i can play a niv and then they're like yeah and now you're discarding your entire hand buddy yeah like oh because <laughs> they all have menace and or flying so i think that'd be a really cool to, uh deck to give a shot
0: otherwise vampires vampires is so much fun
1: but yeah yeah my um my favorite underrated deck is definitely elves um i've really been enjoying elves i still occasionally play it uh, not as much anymore but it's definitely like my go-to second deck um, if there's an evening where I'm tired of playing Grixis or I'm just tired so I don't want to play a control deck, uh, I'll play Elves. Uh, I still think it's really good. Call uh, Time gave it great toys. The um, Pyre of Heroes build that I'm using, so basically the Tribal Birthing Pod, is super fun to play with. Um, it allows you to do some really creative things. Uh, you can. Uh, there's a Masked Vandal in my main deck which is a two-mana um, disenchant, really. It excels something as long as there's a creature in your graveyard. But if you just sack a one-drop to go and get it, there will be a creature in your graveyard because you just put it there. And so that's really fun. Um, it's It just goes very deep. There's a lot of interesting cards you can put in. I'm running like a Dwinnen. Um, I'm running a Beast Whisperer at the top end to have some interesting four-drops to go into. Uh, because your um, that two drop Mast Vandal is a shapeshifter, you can actually turn that into cards that aren't elves. So you can turn it into like a Satessin Petitioner, which is the devotion life gain card from Theros if you're playing against an aggro deck, because you're turning it into a druid. Um, there's actually, with Satessin Petitioner, there's quite some elves that actually are druids. So you can look for other things to sort of birthing pulse your cards into super in-depth it has a great aggro game plan uh, if you're not good at combat uh, just wait until you draw shaman off the Pack, and you just drain your opponent out you never have to actually swing um great deck really fun um i don't know even the cards they just they just feel great they look great it's just i love that deck
0: yeah just not against
1: uh jund no not against mayhem devil please not against mayhem devil <laughs> um now the second part of the question Are you saving up for Pioneer on Arena, or are you just trying to get um, many pieces for existing decks already in preparation? So, like, if you're building a Historic deck, are you keeping in mind, like, hey, this is a deck I want to upgrade into a Pioneer deck?
0: Yeah, I have Rakdos, Pyromancer, I have Vampires, things like that. I have decks I already really like in Pioneer that I've, you know, I'm basically forcing versions of them in, uh, in Historic to an extent. Like, I won't... I won't get wild cards for certain cards that I'm just that are, are not pioneer legal. Like I haven't gotten any Wrath of Gods because I'm just like, eh. Eh. Don't care. Um, but Alex, I know you are the big
1: I have been an absolute dragon. I've just been hoarding. I'm just sitting on my pile of gold. I said to to brat recently when I tick when I went over hundred K gold, I was like, this is the most discipline that I've ever had for anything in my life um i do my dailies basically every day uh so i'm currently at 71 rare wild cards 40 mythic rare wild cards and 103.9k gold i am waiting and when pioneer comes i am building everything (laughs) i am just building the lot right i'm probably buying every mana base um just so i can easily play other decks i'm building my favorite deck so i'm building elves and building grixis and probably building one or two more decks and i can build all of it once it comes and then i'll immediately be out again because magic economy lol hey you're me and paper now <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing i've been hoarding for so long and i'll be able to buy like good man a good general mana base because i've already been playing for a while so i have basically all the shock lands basically all the check lands from playing standard at the time uh, so i can just finish up my mana bases get like Fastlands, Painlands, uh, which I believe Painlands are even an uncommon cycle. um Fastlands, Painlands, Pathways, and I'll just have all mana base established, and I'll have a couple of decks. So, and then I'll run out of gold, and then if I want to build a new deck, I have to throw an X, where X is unknown amount of money at it, because the arena economy is ass.
0: Well, when I was building, I think I built Vampires on stream, and I think Juke was there. It's like I'm going to build Vampires i need these cards i think i dropped like 80 bucks to finish vampires um and i was missing like four cards so yeah it makes no sense oh it, d- it does for wizards
1: yeah it does for them because the thing is there's more people like you who actually throw the 80 bucks at arena and there's less people like me who are like Fuck you i'm hoarding
0: <laughs> I am I, a whale. I, I am. I am the uh, the bad thing about this game.
1: Right now, there's um, a question as a follow-up by uh, C Taurus. See what you did there, um, C Taurus sixty on the Pioneer Perspective Millbag uh, tab in the Discord, and he just added um, alternative tribal decks? Question mark. i wasn't entirely sure what he meant now i'm thinking of oddball tribal decks like that you would want to play um because i don't think alternative is a creature type so um i'm just thinking do you know of a of a funny a funny tribal deck something funky you've seen someone play or you thought of
0: uh i want there to be construct tribal with uh what's the enchantment that pumps all your artifact creatures i really want that it's an historic You're artifact a temperate steel yeah i want that but like for like what's actually playable what i've seen the only tribal decks i've gone against or even played myself is like zombies elves merfolk dragons um there's vampires obviously but that's a, that's an established deck i don't know you have spirits it's an established deck dwarves is the answer oh uh, yeah your dwarves deck is pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, dwarves is a really
1: fun dribble deck uh it's not very good it's basically kaladash brock constructed but magda is so ridiculously powerful that she actually kind of carries the deck by herself um so that one's fun i wish merfolk had more going for it it really doesn't uh that's one i would want to see have more support i would want to see goblins have more good support It's a deck that already kind of works, but it really just lacks a lord. I don't think it has a single lord in Pioneer. Goblin Chieftain isn't even legal. That's so weird. Um, It doesn't have any of the Modern Horizon cards, obviously. There's no Munitions Expert, no Sling Gang Lieutenant. So it would still be going off the weird, like, um, Siege Gang Commander shenanigans. Uh, There's no Goblin Matron. There is Ring Leader. And Ring Leader is a really good card. So... It can go off that. And that's basically it. But Goblins is a lot of fun. We have. Didn't we have someone in the. Someone in our Discord actually won with 8 whack. They played an 8 whack style deck, I believe, in Pioneer.
0: Yeah, it was for a weekly.
1: Yeah, someone won a weekly with. And it ran like Dragon Fodder, just like co- Goblins Go White tokens. And it ran. Because it obviously can't run Bushwhacker, uh, which is the actual same of 8. Well, it runs Bushwhacker, uh, but it runs Reckless Bushwhacker. And Goblin Bushwhacker isn't legal, because that's from original Zendikar, But it ran, I think it's called like Charred Fellhound or something. And it's a three mana, two one haste. And it says when it attacks, all your creatures get plus one plus zero. So aside from that, it doesn't give haste, which can be relevant. It is basically Bushwhacker five through eight. And that actually worked. And it is a goblin deck. And it is kind of funny. Um, and goblins are always just great. I like goblins. Especially the older goblins with the ridiculous flavor text. There are a few cycles that make me laugh more than the goblins that do the opposite thing. Cycle, yeah. <laughs> where the gardener, the gardeners and the explorers that destroy lands, yeah. Uh, instead of making them, that sort of thing. Those cards are hilarious. I think Goblin Gardener has the flavor text of something like, you know, put food in ground, grow food, eat food, and then it was something like, you know, skip the middle step, just eat the dirt instead or something. And it just, it's, it's so good. Early goblins are great. Um, then getting a question from Ricky Madison, which is our editor. Hello, Alex. Um during the pandemic, my LGS hosted events on MTG Arena. I was at a disadvantage since I absolutely despise arena, and I don't have a big collection there. Do you guys think I should still gather the minimum resources just in case it ever turn it ever turn out great. So I guess arena ever turns out great? or in case they link more paper events to Arena. Example, winning a certain event on Arena gives you a better starting point for a paper event or just some extra paper reward. Please consider that playing Arena turns me into the worst human being. Sorry for butchering your question, by the way. So, obviously, if you... I would be hesitant in... If I were a wizard, I would be hesitant in, like, tying Arena and paper so closely together, but I can see them do it. Um but if you just really hate arena i obviously wouldn't bother um otherwise i think piku in the discord commented they played jeskai cycling which is a deck that kind of plays itself i love that deck so much um like there's definitely some some budgety decks um that you can probably get together i believe white weenie is hardly a budget deck at this point but there are like budget red aggro decks you can never really go wrong just amber cleaving people Like, I would just look for some easy, straight-up aggro decks where I really feel like Jeskai Cycling is just kind of the easiest one because you just cycle, 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 flare, flare, and your opponent is dead. And the deck is, like, four rares. So you could probably do the intro against Sparky, type in, like, those, like, play RNA decks or something that codes and get, like, your basic packs from most sets, fill in a pre-release code, and there you go. Play Jeskai Cycling. Effectively plays itself. I believe you. I believe it's even good enough for historic, uh, to some extent. So just do that.
0: If as far as like paper tie in, I would just want to see them do like if you buy a challenger deck, here's a code for Arena to get all these cards on Arena. Oh, yes, do that. That is
1: that. I, I'm already just baffled they don't. Pokemon has been doing it for years. Fun incentive. Only do that when you buy a booster box at your LGS instead of that Amazon. Actually, give people because that is a maybe a like they do need when we're going back to more paper magic which we're luckily are i also hope we go back more to please wizards help lgs's they get a great stop at the start of the pandemic where i believe almost every wizard play network store or something got like a couple of boosters of uh, boxes of mystery boosters that they were just given it's like hey sell this so you can like you know keep the lights on for a month or for, for like a month or whatever at least you pay get this and pay rent right wizards effectively paid the rent of every game store mm-hmm. for like a month which was great but now they're doing things like um secret lairs selling shocklands to people at a lower value than your LGS can and bonuses doing things through amazon and basically just being like hey please don't support your LGS and if they could just like stop doing that that would be great so next question up by Zeth Four. How do you think the removal of MPL slash rivals and potential changes to the Pro Play system will affect Pioneer? We we covered this. Yeah, we um, positively for the sake of just Pioneer, probably positively, unless they completely butch the new system. Um, but the old system wasn't doing anything for Pioneer, so for the format's sake, good. Then we had a question, I believe, on Facebook. Brad, you got this one, yeah. Um, by Casey Smith, there was a bit of a back and forth with someone else to like actually get to what they exactly meant with this question. Um, but well, it basically boiled down to what is the defining set of the pioneer format? Like, if I could buy a booster box, which one should I get? But obviously, don't get a booster box by singles. But in that context, if all you had access to were full booster boxes and no one was selling singles which one should you buy to get yourself a successful pioneer
0: deck dude that's so weird because like my gut tells me eldraine because there's so many powerful cards yeah, yeah same there's so many powerful <laughs> cards there there's a lot of band cards though so you'll like have like nine cards that you want to open in a booster box where you're like <laughs> it's like wow i got three okos this is great oh but then you're like well wait i need lands. <laughs> so do you go to like do you go to Ravnica to get your Lance um I don't know yeah I think I think power wise and like a defining set for Pioneer is Eldrain just because of how good the cards are and uh yeah there I think the it speaks to the positivity of like the diversity of Pioneer there aren't any sets where I think predominantly like overtake the format right The only one I could argue that ever did that was Theros Beyond Death because it gave us so many cards that spawned broken decks that needed to be banned. Other than that, it's pretty diverse into what uh, cards are from what sets. The, um, The top cards overall
1: in Pioneer is um, Fatal Push, Mystical Dispute, Thatsis, Aethergust, Lurus, Clothis, Magma Spray, Vanishing Verse, Notion Thief, and Extinction Event, and that means only Icoria shows up twice. However, it shows up with Lurus and Extinction Events, which go in entirely different decks. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's no doubles there. Then top spells. Well, if we look at just creatures alone, uh, Lurus, Clothis, Notion Thief, Night of Autumn, Croxa, Lanowar Elves, Elvish Mystics, Scavenging Ooze, Valky, and Sylvan Karyatid. Again, I believe all from different sets, except Clothis and Croxa are both from Theros. Uh, Theros Beyond Death, because Sylvan Karyatid is from original Theros. Uh, top Spells, we're seeing a similar story. Push, Dispute, Seize, Aethergust, Magma Spray, Verse, Extinction Event, Dick Through Time, Kolagan's Command, which I believe is not from the same one as Dick Through Time, uh, actually they're both from Khans.
0: The, the, yeah, they're both Khans of uh Darkir.
1: Yeah. Um and Wild Slash, which is Fate Reforged, not Khans.
0: Oh no, no, isn't they're, no they're Dragons of Darkir. That Kogans Man is Dragons. Same same block.
1: Oh yeah, that's Dragons of Darkir and Dick Through Time is Khans of Darkir, because that was the Soul Time mechanic. Yeah. So even they're from different ones. Even even the lands, right? But obviously oh, yeah. the main <laughs> one with the lands is the shock lands. So the most impactful one i mean there's two ravnica sets and so i didn't even have to pick between those i would say probably eldraine gave the highest overall power level yeah i agree so if you had a box to build a pioneer deck with i would probably go for eldraine and just build Teamer adventures with as many cards as you can
0: i mean you could get away with mono red with the uh, and champion uh bunker giant and Emperor cleave and then whatever else is filler
1: yeah so with eldraine you can build an adventures deck you can build teamer adventures grow adventures Mono red aggro boros aggro whatever right there's stuff to be built there so probably eldraine kind of eldraine is one of the most powerful sets of all time so maybe not a surprising answer um now we're going into um the uh last couple of questions and two questions from both the Runes and sean b runes on reddit shall on the discord basically boil down to um is there a card you we should unban like first of all is there a card that you think you can safely unban and do we think there is a card that actually makes the game the format more healthy if it gets unbanned
0: uh two answers there's my personal bias which is Kethis. i love the card i love the deck i want to see it back i'm also working on an article that should be done soonish that's i give I think, I think I give fairly good reasonings as to why it can be uh, safe to come back. Um, however, a non-biased answer is, just from this episode alone, Leyline of, of Abundance, I don't feel threatened by anymore.
1: Yeah, mine, um, mine's a... Well, some people are going to be really happy about this. Some people are going to hate me for it. I think it's time for Copter. I think Copter's fine. Um, Copter is really good for aggro. I acknowledge that. However... We're not seeing like a metric ton of aggro, right? Would copter be good in burn? It would probably be reasonably good in burn. Uh, it'd be good in mono black, which is a deck that's not really being played much right now, so it's probably fine. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of answers to thopter uh, to uh, smuggler's copter. Um, also, with portable hole coming, which I believe can deal with it out of a white deck. Finally. Uh, for a higher CM, for a lower cmc than the copter is it also does the double duty thing in mid-range decks that i talked about earlier uh akin to liliana of the veil where you can discard the cards that aren't relevant in certain matchups it is both a good attacker and a good blocker so again does double duty in those matchups so i feel like copter is probably okay it would be a very powerful card and I understand the critique of like every aggro deck is now a 56 card deck because you start with four copter, uh, four copter, not thopter.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more against it than you are, but I wouldn't mind. See- okay, this is this is, I have the best answer ever. Okay, are you ready for this? On both arena and moto, whenever Pioneer comes to arena, that's why I'm including that. Watsy needs to do something. They need to implement a f***ing test server like every other game that quote-unquote eSport games do, right? Because you go, hey, maybe this gun is broken in Siege, for example. On the test server, Jaeger's uh, assault rifle now is, you know, it does 30 damage as opposed to the 36 damage it was doing before. We'll see how that goes. Oh, he's also a two-speed now, so the three. On for magic, yes. You, you could also do, you could be like, hey, here's a here's a, a special test server for pioneer or modern or whatever, and for ninety days, I mean, it could be thirty days, sixty days, whatever arbitrary number you want to go with that they feel they can get the most data from based on the amount of people playing and things like that. And by the way, the modern version of this would get plenty of people to play it. Guarantee you that.
1: Yeah, people have been calling for this exact concept for modern for a while now.
0: Yeah. Just simply be like, hey, here's a leak. Here's a thing. 30 days. Play as much as you want. These cards are legal. Well,
1: I mean, we, we're we getting this on Arena, right? Where they're doing it with nerfed cards. So they're actually errata in cards. And we're going to get an event where we can play with errata cards in Historic.
0: Yeah, but I would rather see them do it with banned cards and be like, hey, how would this affect the meta?
1: Yeah, obviously. Well, because errata cards is kind of stupid because we're not errata in cards in paper right we're not turning copter into a two two and then someone puts a copter in play and they're like hit you for three and they're like actually it's two well the card clearly says it's a three three right that's stupid
0: yeah Yu-Gi-Oh has that problem and it's annoying so um but doing that with banned
1: cards i do think in that way it's always important that if we ever get that it should not be a short run event don't run it for a weekend yeah because people are gonna play the
0: obvious. Should be a full 30 days at least.
1: Yeah, you need to run it for long enough that it establishes a meta. And you know how the best way to go about it is: you do this thing, run it for 30 days, and you end it with a tournament with a decent prize pool. We're talking like I don't know, thousand bucks to the thousand bucks to the winner, and. 500 second place and whatever right and you run it with like a prize pool that honestly for a company like wizard uh, wizards to effectively have the community do your playtesting for you
0: exactly
1: is not a high amount of money and just give it like give people some incentive to have a metagame establish um publish the deck lists every week so people aren't gonna keep stupid shit secret right publish the deck lists and use that
0: as your public test realm. We can finally see if Splinter Twin is too good and modern now. Like, come on.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously this is where Pioneer only do this for. The only thing you probably don't do this for for standard because it's weird because by that time there's a new set out and like, yeah. Um, But you could do this for historic now, Pioneer in the future, um, modern in the future, whatever, right? EDH, question (laughs) mark. But so moving on to our final question, Um, by Pure Steel. If you could add two modern legal cards to Pioneer that are not on the Pioneer ban list, what cards would you add? Would you try and help an existing deck or would you try and bring in cards that would make new decks around them?
0: Okay, I have a good one that you're going to like, but you're also not going to like it because Niv is still a thing, okay? My first one is uh, Kaya's Guile. I f***ing love that card so much. I want it so bad for Esper Control. Um, it's a great, great card, and uh, my second one would probably be, hmm, um, um, I, uh, Uriok Champion. So a couple of white cards, basically.
1: Ariok Champion is the one white white double strike. Oh no, Ariok Champion is the anti mono red card.
0: Pro black and red. Yeah, pro-black, pro-red. pro, black, pro, uh, pro red. Um, Whenever another creature has the battlefield, you gain one life. Or you may gain one life. That's a human. It is a human. That would be a really good. Yeah, that, that card would be awesome. Um, I'm not looking for Bolt. I'm not looking for Path. I want Kaya's Guile and Uruk Champion. Let's do that.
1: All right. Um, Guile, see, I mean, we're obviously also just talking the context of like the format as a whole. So like, yes, Guile would be good for Niv. We get it right but kyle is a is a cool card
0: yeah and it's not overtly overpowered or anything uh Auriok champion i don't know if Oriok
1: champion would just like kick a deck that's already doing just okay like oh yeah burn yeah you're seeing some play again oh mono black you're struggling <laughs> F- you here's aureoc <laughs> uh,
0: i mean Ra- ractos Pyromancer <laughs> would cry seeing this card across from them
1: yeah um i would probably i mean there's a lot of cards i would want Ooh, worm coil engine uh that's kind of a cool one just so you can get the german ones and play some warm spirale machine against your opponent my first two thoughts i had a i was thinking about this yesterday and i came up with three cards and i really struggled but i forgot one so i don't have to struggle anymore uh i would just say like thalia and magus of the moon
0: oh yeah thalia is great
1: um thalia is is great uh i think thalia is a card that the format can you know can make good use of and i already felt like magus is fine so There's other design you can go for, but obviously I have to pick a design that exists if I want to make the format better, and I think Magus is probably fine. There's probably more I can think of if I could think about this for a longer time, but I'll just stick to these two so I don't have to make decisions. Thalia and Magus.
0: There's also Goyf. There's Core Firewalker, Arbor Elf, Stoneforge Mystic, um, Sundering Titan.
1: I mean, if I'm talking about, like, Dexter, I would... (laughs) it's a NIF card i think terminate would be really nice for it but that's for grixis um oh death shadow would be sweet elvish archdruid would be sweet to help elves um merfolk could definitely do with a card akin to master of the pearl trident or lord of atlantis but that is again we're going off to like a whole bunch of cards we want i don't like these conversations too much hex drinker because i feel like i want to see like
0: hex drinker the level of snake
1: oh no eh it's okay uh they're probably be pretty cool cool and not overpowered but i i like i never like the comparison too much just like which modern cards you just inject into the format because like again i could name a hundred cards I want, but then we're just playing modern light yeah of course um and we're genuinely playing modern light because we're actually just playing modern decks to the point where like well i can run all the cards because they're not modern legal but i can run some of the cards so i'm just going to play this modern deck in a weaker powered down state <laughs> uh so i want to sort of naturally progress but thalia and blood blood uh mags of the moon are just police cards that you can't really design very differently yeah you can make a thalia without first record or something i don't care just give me thalia
0: yeah i i, I would like that card very much so
1: but god i mean i'm making people happy tonight i want thalia on the format i want to unban copter like this is not going to be polarizing at all, Brad. It's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Thalia is going to be great going into the uh, the new Selesnya Coco deck, which already hates on Niv pretty hard. So,
1: I mean, it would it would just cut Voice of Research. So, for my end, it just swaps one shit card for another.
0: <laughs> no, no, you keep you keep you keep Voice because Voice is an upgrade in uh, over the Stork version. You cut three mana Thalia, uh, Thalia, and you only run like two of those. You don't have to run the full four. Oh yeah, that's fair. But that brings us to the end of our mailbag episode. Alex, this has been long overdue, and it was very fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I really enjoyed everyone's questions, and thanks
1: for so actively chipping in, because we, I mean, we said we were going to record Monday, and it is now Tuesday that we're recording, but... I think we posted it on Sunday. Yeah, Saturday evening, maybe. It was Sunday. And again, we got like Sun- Sunday evening seven questions in the Discord or something. We got thirty-seven replies or something to the Reddit. So we got a lot of quick responses. Uh, you know, some retweets to get some eyes on it, etc. So, thank you all very much for you know making this what could have been a dull week due to no challenges into actually a really fun episode to record.
0: Yeah, and like I said in the beginning of the episode, and I said I would say it again. <laughs> We love you and appreciate you this would not be possible without you you guys are the best uh the pioneer community is fantastic whether it's over on the uh, pioneer subreddit the discords the various discords there's so f***ing many uh when it comes to like specific types of decks like there's the control freaks there's the there's a vampire discord that i found it's not very active but there's there's one
1: there's an enigmatic incarnation discord yeah
0: that too yep <laughs> But of course, like I said, this would not be possible without you guys. So we appreciate you, and that you know that'll do it for us. And we hope to have you. Oh wait, wait. One thing at the end, Brad. We have an announcement. What Saturday? <gasps> yeah! <laughs> Holy shit! I fucking forgot. <laughs> we have our wonderful Pioneer Invitational, which will be casted in part by myself and Alex, and we also have a special guest, Brent Wagner, who is the editor for the mtg rants podcast uh he helped cast the modern invitational last month and he's helping us pioneer as well so we have two different teams and uh yeah it's gonna be great we're decks go up tomorrow so we'll see what's going on and um stay tuned it's gonna be fun it's gonna be 12 eastern uh for uh, the saturday may 22nd so hop in say hi and uh watch some great paper magic but with that we hope we hear from you next week or you hear us next week i guess And uh, we love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.